This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Fleur Kilpatrick joins us for our fortnightly segment, at least in theory, uh, Shoot the Messenger. Fleur, it's been about six or seven weeks since we've caught up properly. Yeah, it has. Yeah, but I figured as I am your theatre correspondent and certainly the biggest thing that has been happening this week in theatre is around these allegations of sexual misconduct. Rather, and rather than talking about the specific case in question, because let's face it, there's... Um, plenty of detail out there in the media about the allegations concerning uh, the actor Craig uh, McLaughlin who was uh, playing Dr Frankenfurter in the Rocky Horror Show in the 2014 season and just recently until this week when he and uh, the Gordon Frost organisation apparently mutually agreed uh, to part ways. One of the, the points you raised, which I thought was a really interesting one, uh, to, to read from a story that ran in The Age on Monday, uh, McLaughlin claimed that the Rocky Horror Show was, quote, a confrontational musical oozing with sexuality and that to, quote, make the show... Quote again, actors have to perform certain actions, all of which flow from the show itself. So there's somehow this suggestion that because the show has a sexual component to it, that does that then encourage or allow, uh, shall we call them hijinks, kind of offstage and a, a raunchy atmosphere to spread on the set? Yeah, I think this is one of these big myths around theatre and, and it was interesting to see him say, state that because I've seen it in comments. I've seen people presumably not connected to the theatre industry saying, well, it's a sexual show, so dot, 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 therefore people can be expected to be assaulted. Um, but actually it's in any kind of field, in any kind of profession, if you are dealing with dangerous material, say, for example, you're a builder and you're going to use an angle grinder, you know there are risks associated. You wear safety goggles. You, you go, you approach that knowing it is a dangerous task. And on a, uh, on a work site, there are processes in place to ensure your safety. Absolutely. And people receive specific training around, um, around performing dangerous tasks. Likewise, sexually explicit or a material or material that makes the actors feel vulnerable needs to be approached with the same care. We're not going to put safety goggles on everyone, but we've got to think about what steps can we put in place to make this the safest possible workplace? Because it's a workplace. It's not a bunch of people doing hijinks. It's a professional space of work and people need to feel safe in their professional space of work. How you make a, a simulated sex act feel safe is by everyone knowing exactly what is going to happen when. It's by choreographing it to the nth degree, by making sure that everyone is comfortable with that choreography and sticking to that choreography. You don't, when you're using your angle grinder, you don't just start going off book and doing whatever it is. Likewise, when you are doing material that makes someone feel vulnerable, you make them feel as empowered as possible by letting them know exactly how it's going to go every time. And that begins... Uh, as early as auditions as well. Uh, when actors are auditioning for a role, uh, it's important right at the start that the director, the casting agent, etc. say, are you comfortable with nude scenes? Are you comfortable with sex scenes? These aren't uh, things that are sprung on actors in the first week or the second week of rehearsals, for example. <laughs> it's really important uh, to ensure a safe and comfortable working environment that everybody goes into a show knowing what is expected of them and, mm -hmm. as you say, that when uh, they are kind of 
mapping out essentially or to use your word uh, choreographing a sex scene or any form of intimate moment on a show whether it be intimate violence for example because sex and violence are confronting issues in the theatre and they are choreographed and approached quite similarly and I in some ways I'd almost like to see in the same way that companies will hire a fight director Mm. it would almost be interesting to see companies begin to say well let's uh, hire um, a sex director somebody who Mm. whose speciality is mapping out intimate moments so it is these scenes are prepared with as much um, uh, care as fight sequences are. Absolutely, absolutely. So I think that's one of the big misconceptions around around these kind of allegations that I'm seeing. The other one out there that I keep seeing again and again is this cry of innocent until proven guilty. And we are, of course, saying allegations because that is that is true. It yeah. is it is innocent until proven guilty. But likewise, in any workplace, it, again, it comes down to safety. Um, or even to exclude workplaces for a moment, to say someone was accused of a violent crime, they may very well be remanded in custody until that crime, until they go to trial for the safety of the community. Now, he is not in custody. He has been, however, removed from that place of work for the safety of his colleagues until these allegations are proven either false or true. Uh, and and safety for- of colleagues has got to be... Safety surely has got to be uh, the most important thing here, more important than reputation at this point. Yeah, and also presumably he's um, been removed or removed himself from the production for his own safety as well. Yes. Because um, if these allegations are false, to then... Uh, essentially go on trial every night in front of the audience would also be a deeply confronting experience for McLaughlin himself. So I think uh, all parties concerned have approached this scenario and this situation um, pretty carefully and certainly it's been really intriguing and interesting from my perspective as an arts journalist and arts writer to see the care that is going into this investigation, which is a joint Fairfax Media ABC investigation, not just into uh, this case around uh, the alleged uh, acts of sexual harassment and alleged sexual assault that occurred on the Rocky Horror Show in 2014. We've also seen earlier, um, well, late last year in November, the Don Burke case. Again, serious allegations, detailed and scrupulously approached by the media. There has been one other case where a a media outlet did not approach the case with scrupulous care and that has, I think, damaged... uh, I know certainly it has damaged that newspaper uh, and it has very, very much, I believe, damaged uh, some of the individuals concerned as well, emotionally and otherwise. So these kind of issues are not raised lightly in the media. Uh, and uh, they are not raised lightly within the theatre and the entertainment industry Mm -hmm. either. Um, I found it really interesting that um, uh, some of the actors involved have come out on social media and say, we're being accused of doing this for fame and for the money. They're putting their careers at stake by by raising these allegations, knowing that henceforth people may think you're a difficult person to work with, we're not going to hire you again. Absolutely, and this leads me to another point I've been thinking about, about why these things how these things can happen and we talk a lot about the power of the star the power of the man at the center of these allegations when it happens but I think also we've got to be talking about the power of the companies and in this situation we're talking about 
um, a company that is one of the few companies in this industry for music theatre performers in Australia that has enormous weight, that has an enormous pull. So it's um, it's very, it's a very disempowering thing to be an actor working for this company and saying, if I come forward now, does that cancel me out for 60% of the musicals in Australia? Um, I think I think it, it gives us even more reason to encourage artists to join their unions. Absolutely. Um, and also I'd really be encouraging actors to have, if, if you have that relationship with your, your agent, to have a chat with them about what would happen if if this kind of thing happened to me, if you feel comfortable sounding that stuff out well before it happens. Um, hopefully it never happens, but I think it's really important to be checking in with your agent and making sure that they have your back in those situations as well. And uh, the the union concern for actors and other stage technicians and the like is uh, the Media Entertainment Arts Alliance, MEAA or, or MIA, uh, and their kind of equity division. So uh, if one of the things that I'm finding really um, kind of positive that is coming out of uh, the last couple of months, not just the most recent case, but the last couple of months generally, is an awareness that so much more needs to be done to make mm. uh, theatres, film sets, television sets and other um, spaces of uh, creative work safe for people because we know that too many people have in the past left the industry. Yeah great talented young actors and performers and uh and stage hands and and others have been sexually uh, uh harassed made to feel deeply uncomfortable and they've left the industry so we need to make sure that that doesn't happen because we can't afford to lose talent we really can't mm, absolutely when i posted that we we're going to be talking about this today the very first comment under it was you know i left the industry because of exactly that yeah. and that's very sad to see this this stuff, I think also there's so many interconnected issues here. But one thing that I that has been rolling around in my head as well is this continued myth around performing arts and arts in general as being an artist means you know being a bit crazy and a bit and 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 drinking a lot and doing all of this stuff and not taking care of yourself and others. And I think that uh, that's it's really time to stamp out that myth. Um, the amount of jokes I hear in the industry just about like this sort of presumption of alcoholism in general, I think that needs to stop. I was at an arts event. Um, last year a briefing of some kind I'm not going to say what and about six times in the hour jokes were made about the free drinks we would get and I think it's time that we stop um, normalising self-abuse and making it clear that it's to be an artist means looking after yourself and others in the workplace and approaching our workplace as a professional one. There's been some really interesting work done over the last couple of years around the high uh, risk and high rates of uh, essentially self-medicating in the arts through alcohol use and other substance use. And that's partially because actors are really great at warming up and mm-hmm. there's so little ritual around warming down. Yeah. And if you're performing in an emotionally gruelling role night after night, you need to find some way to protect your offstage life from the emotions you're embodying and experiencing 
experiencing on stage and a, an appropriate way to kind of warm down uh, effectively and to kind of shed the skin of the character you've been inhabiting on stage. Uh, now, I'm, ta- I'm making generalisations about the craft of acting. There are many different approaches to acting um, as well, so we have to bear that in mind as well. But, yeah, there's uh, well-being in the performing arts sector and the arts more generally has been a, a hot topic over the last couple of years and it will certainly continue to be so. Uh, and these allegations around sexual assault in the sector will also continue to be a very hot topic. Mm. I very much um, am aware that the investigation that we've alluded to, uh, the, the Fairfax ABC joint investigation, uh, more people will be named in the coming months who are being accused of some pretty vile behaviour and quite frankly I think that behaviour needs to be kind of rooted out and burnt out Mm. of the industry so that everybody involved can be healthier and happier and safer at work. Absolutely and if hopefully if we can normalise a happy productive safe work environment in all of the in all of the arts sector that will make it harder for these things to go ignored and to go unspoken of. Yeah. Uh, if you've just tuned in, Fleur Kilpatrick and I have been talking about some fairly heavy topics, yes. but we're now going to just quickly move on to some more positive uh, uh, topics as well. Um, you're about to jaunt off overseas for a month. I am, yeah, mostly to be an auntie, I must say. Okay. So, uh, but um, but that also means that I get to see some wonderful children's theatre in England. So I'm pretty excited about that. In particular, there's a beautiful theatre company company in London called um, Unicorn Theatre, and the first time I took my niece there I was really struck by what a difference it makes to visit a children's theatre company that has their own dedicated space. To walk into a space that is for children from the instant you walk through the door is amazing. There's colourful spots on the ground encouraging kids to do various dances and movements. So as soon as you enter it's a child friendly space. So I'm really excited to seeing whatever age appropriate work Unicorn Theatre has on in London while I'm there. Well I'm certainly looking forward to seeing some work coming up as part of the Midsummer festival mm-hmm. um uh dan clark uh is directing a production of taylor maxi uh here um it's spelled h-i-r uh at red stitch from the 30th of january to the 4th of march taylor mac uh visited melbourne only a couple of months ago uh, did they i wouldn't have known <laughs> <laughs> um and so uh it's i'm really intrigued to see this production and it's also being staged over in perth by black swan state theater company oh, wow so two productions in the one year says so it's, it's very much a play of the moment yeah. it's about amongst other things transitioning America, an America that's transitioning from uh, its class structures are transitioning, its social cultures are transitioning, and it's about a family who are transitioning as well from a, a, a patriarchy to a matriarchy, and one of, the, one of the children of the family is transitioning gender. So there's all this stuff, class and culture and politics mixed up in the play. I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Um, La Mama uh, are launching their summer season this coming Monday, so there's a whole heap of work there. I won't go into detail because I'm slightly biased being a, a, a member of the La Mama Committee of Management. There's my disclaimer out of the way. Um, uh, and kind of if you're interested in new and interesting and contemporary takes on classical music, there's an event called Homophonic, which is happening as part of Midsummer. Uh, John Barrowman is performing for Midsummer, doing show tunes and cabaret uh, instead of, of the science fiction TV roles he's best known for. So, yeah, there's a lot to see, uh, and I definitely recommend jumping on the midsummer.org.au website and checking out more details. And there's this 
small little play that you may have heard about called The Curious Incident of the Dog in the Night Time. Oh, I have well. heard of that, mm. yes. yes. <laughs> now, there was an interview, I think, with the playwright responsible for that on Breakfasters yesterday, so you can jump on Radio On Demand on the website and listen back to that. I'll be talking to somebody from Art Centre Melbourne at 11.30 today, uh, Joshua, um, who's uh, looking after the creative learning programs at the Art Centre, and we'll be chatting all about some of the kind of ancillary behind-the-scenes tours and programs and stuff that are connected with the curious incident of the dog in the night time. So looking forward to that. And Flo, looking forward to catching up with you in a bit over a month's time after your trip. Have a fantastic time. Thanks, Richard. I'm joined in the studio now by Sugar Mountain's creative director and co-founder, Pete Keane. Pete, welcome. Hi, thank you. How's uh, the the new year treating you so far? Pretty crazy, I would imagine, with Sugar Mountain happening uh, very soon on the twentieth of Jan. Yeah, it's it's a it's always a crazy time, always a rushy period. I'm um, very much looking forward to starting my year in February. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you will actually then get a proper break and yeah, and all little, those things post festival. Yeah. So. Talk to us about the ethos of, of Sugar Mountain in particular, because as I said, it's much more than just a music festival and it, the focus always has been as much on visual art and immersive experiences as on the bands that are playing. Yeah, it's um, from from the early days, which it's now the seventh year, um, we aimed to kind of showcase and um, create a platform for... Um, bands on the rise, primarily those from our community and um, Melbourne particularly, um, and then also uh, bands on the rise from international or greater Australia. Um, yeah, so we kind of try and make a home for those those acts and, and also kind of uh, break the barrier between the audience member and the, and the performer itself. So... Um, trying to create moments, highlight moments and, um, and experiences that, that, that merge the two and kind of uh, break down the barrier of, of the viewing experience. Which is exactly what the uh, immersive virtual reality film Via Alice is doing. It's, a, it's immersive, so it's kind of putting the, the audience into the experience rather than just kind of outside and watching it. And it's also merging cultures as well because it's uh, a work that... Uh, presents uh, an American artist, producer and dancer alongside uh, an Indigenous dancer and choreographer. So a meeting of worlds, a meeting of art forms as well. Tell us a little bit more about Via Alice. How did this project come about? Well, I guess I guess a lot of our work, or um, this Via Alice is a side project from Sugar Mountain. It just happens to feature at Sugar Mountain this year. May as well take advantage of, of showcasing that work. Um, and it was really amazing uh, experience and, and really amazing work came from it, which luckily for me. Um, but uh, the, I guess the I wanted to challenge myself um, and also the individuals within the project, whoever we highlight. Um, I hope that it's an ongoing series of, of uh, experiences. Um, so basically placing two individuals from um, two different backgrounds, um, whether or not they're from Australia or Indonesia or wherever it might be around the globe to kind of find the meeting point between 
communication in a sense. Um, and in, in this project, it's, it's heavily based around dance and, and body language as a language tool. It's one of the things that uh, for me as kind of somebody who uh, I, I see a lot of contemporary dance and I love the fact that uh, it transcends, as you say, it trans- dance transcends uh, cultural barriers and language barriers and geographical boundaries because uh, everybody moves and everybody dances, whether you do it kind of like daggerly in your lounge room listening to your favourite track out of the club or professionally on stage. That notion of an embodied experience through movement <laughs> is something that can connects us all. So in this work, the fact that you've then got an American dancer and an, an Indigenous Australian dancer, what I haven't seen the work, uh, mm-hmm. so is part of that about them finding a communal language? Yeah, totally. Um, I mean, we wanted to, starting off on this project, uh, felt necessary that we start in our own home ground and explore um, Australia in a greater way. Um, I guess... Um, I wanted to challenge myself and and also the the artist within the project to to kind of um, uh, explore a connection to this land, but also I'd felt like taking um, it, it, I didn't want to put another white man in that experience um, and and highlight that artist discovering a connection to to a, a black man of this country, so. Um, it felt necessary to, to step abroad and um, if we were going to put an outsider into this land, um, we we decided that it, it was better to, to be a, a, a man of colour, um, connecting with another man of colour and, and, and um, uh, trying to find the, the meeting points within. Um, I have a really great relationship with Leif, um, Khalif Diouf, who features in the film, and uh, he voiced prior in prior years of uh featuring at the festival that he would love to um extend his work in australia and and find a find a greater connection to black australia in particular um which a lot of touring artists of color um coming coming to australia a lot of the audiences in hip-hop shows are quite heavily white audiences um so i guess we're trying to um, through guidance of, of these these people because um, I can't really be the, the leading voice of that, um, um, trying to break down barriers. Yeah. So in terms of uh, creating uh, Via Alice, which you've directed uh, and kind of then you're working with... Uh, Kind of cinematographers and composers, and as well as uh, the the two kind of men who are featuring in the work. Um, obviously, a kind of just the sheer act of making the work um, geographically must be a challenge because, as the name perhaps suggests, via Alice, starting in Alice Springs and m- moving through and around the country mm-hmm. to to immerse the uh, the the men within the work, kind of on country as well. So uh, now you've mentioned Khalif, uh, who is the the American artist, producer and dancer who's in the work. Um, uh, And so he's then meeting up with uh, a dancer and choreographer whose work I know through Bangara Dance Theatre. Yeah, Wanaga Blanco. Um, He's actually a really close friend of mine and Daniel Stricker, who uh, works as the um, uh, producer and composer on the soundtrack. Um, uh, Wani is just a warm and 
beautiful energy. Um, his his movements and just his body language alone. Just there's so much much warmth warmth and energy coming from that that person. And and um, once you meet him, it's just like one of the best people you've ever met. Um, we had had him on involved as a consultant along in the early days and then when we were searching for the right person to to highlight in this film it, it he was under our noses all the time so yeah. yeah it was great to have him on board and so because it's much more than a film as we said it's a it's an immersive kind of virtual reality experience yeah. so what challenges did that present in kind of shooting and creating it because you have to be so much more aware of the viewer's experience so rather than just kind of as we said rather than just a passive watching experience people are what putting on virtual reality headsets and able to move with those dancers for example through sand dunes and rainforests and along riverbanks and so forth i'm currently swiveling on this seat in the studio and um that's basically what you're able to do within uh, in the viewing experience, you're, you're able to rotate um, and see 360, see above, see below, see all different angles. Um, so putting the camera gear into a place where you have prime view of, of all these happenings within a space, um, it does eliminate the, um, the, the person behind the camera. So you have to go and hide a lot behind rocks, trees and, and whatever might be available but um yeah it's it's a it's an odd one yeah what kind of responses has it had from kind of people kind of viewing slash participating in the work because i know it showed at uh carriage works last year yeah uh and reviewing it in uh the sydney morning herald jewel sykes commented on the fact that it kind of not only that it's a, a unique collaboration but um said that it was emotionally moving and technically interesting so talk to us about the emotional side of it that's something that i always find fascinating the way that people respond emotionally to work yeah well i guess we wanted to strip out the um the whitewashing of of the english language um i think there's maybe three words within the whole piece in the english language um we it's there's quite a lot of um Aboriginal dialect in, in specific places, um, Darug, and, uh, which is common to the Redfern, Greater Redfern area, and then um, uh, Mudbara, which is um, the local dialect of um, Malinja um, in the Northern Territory. And basically we wanted to eliminate the, uh, I guess, the reliance on the spoken word. And, and Which, really, when you're working with dancers, makes perfect sense. Yeah, exactly right. And and with a with an experience that you're, you're dropping people into environments and spaces, and and you really want them to feel feel the energy of the space rather than having this overbearing um, tool of language. Um, so trying to trying to f- to deliver feeling and emotion in different ways, and um, I think we've done that in. Yeah, we're, we're definitely trying to do that. I'm always one to, to cut myself down. So, like, um, I feel like we can always do better, but um, well, as yeah, you say, this I is feel f- like we've achieved as well. And, so, but you've also yeah. said this is the first in a series of works that you're going to be creating. Yeah. So as ideas are refined naturally, they will become more potent and, and more focused. But yeah. kind of for you, making the film as well as then putting the headsets on and watching the finished product, has it been an emotional experience for you? Yeah, it's... Um, 
because we were there experiencing everything and uh, it brings back so many memories of like I mean uh I'm not one I'm not I'm not one to cry but there was there was definitely moments within that experience that were so beautiful and warm um going to the Tiwi Islands and and being uh, in, uh invited into a community um uh meeting the sister girls in in a specific part of uh of the town and um and being invited into their group and kind of um i guess late at night uh sitting around a campfire and and, and having them sing in in um their local dialect but also having a, a particular sister girl behind each of us that was um translating in in their own particular way the the story that was sung so there's like all these beautiful moments throughout and yeah leaf had a, gr- a great time um being introduced to so many people and being invited into their lives and it was i couldn't have couldn't have um guessed that it would be a warmer experience it was just yeah overwhelming so then the challenge is to distill some of that into the work so other people can experience that in a way yeah i think i think the experience would be definitely vastly different to what we experienced out there because there's so much um and to cut it down into some kind of virtual reality experience is a different thing but i mean the the scenes the scenes alone i guess are extended so you have enough time to experience um say a 30 second scene which is sounds quite long uh, quite short but in in video time i guess it's it's quite lengthy yeah the work is called via alice and as we've said it's an immersive virtual reality film that kind of explores uh indigenous australian knowledge culture identity and the land itself Mm. uh so as we've said, it's uh, if people are going to Sugar Mountain on the 20th of January, they can uh, immerse themselves in the work there. What's its future beyond that particular uh, kind of installation slash viewing experience? Where next? Um, I'm not sure. We want to we want to have a look at refining it even more and making it um, a greater experience to to take online because the the technology capabilities for the actual headsets at the moment only allows you to to show so much uh, in length of time, but um, yeah, try and extend the film a little bit longer and um, and get it online eventually. But um, yeah, rural Australia, uh, re- sorry, regional Australia, um, and then a couple of dates internationally as well. So right. just trying to piece it all together now. But yeah, good luck with all of that, Pete Keane. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. Last year's Melbourne International Comedy Festival, one of my highlights of the festival was Fringe Wives Club's Glittery Clittery, a consensual party. It was a bit of a late night show at the Greek Centre. Uh, and amongst one of the, the, the moments I enjoyed the most, there was a quiz to name the different lady parts, um, which I realised, I, I thought I'd better not compete. I'll leave this for the women in the audience and perhaps some of the straight men. And I realised that I knew all the names, whereas Yay. some of the young women Yay. in the audience audience and even some of the straight men Mm-mm. who presumably have a bit more interested in mm. interest in vaginas than I do <laughs> they didn't know the details and I did no. so I, I felt very proud I'm very I'm very impressed you should feel proud that's amazing <laughs> thank you now uh, we have Tessa Waters Victoria Falconer Hi. and Rowena Hudson with us Hello. they are Fringe Wives Club yes and indeed after the success of uh, Melbourne International Comedy Festival last year you're taking the show on the road this year mm. we yeah. are 
big national tour kicks off in like a week and a half. Yeah. Well, it's kind of kicked off already. We've already yeah. done Woodford and Brunswick Heads. Uh, and then we're heading off to, to Perth and Adelaide, then back for one night only at Melbourne Comedy Festival as a return show. Now, mm-hmm. Brunswick Heads is not necessarily usually <laughs> on people's touring itineraries. But it should be. It should be. Oh, it my God, be. it should I be. I believe there is an awesome old picture theatre there that has become a hub of culture. Yes. Yeah, it's amazing. If the guys from La Soiree uh, have, have, have bought it or have got a... They've you bought know, it. Yeah, it's um, Yeah, and it's this beautiful... They've converted it and oh, it's this amazing cabaret space. So um, and some massive acts are mm. going up there now because it's yeah. just an excellent, excellent time. Um, our show sold out. We had to add an extra show because the audience up there are just super hungry for stuff. Uh, and also and super was, lovely. Yeah. Oh. It was, a, it, was a, it was a loud, rowdy show, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Right. it was. And it's full of, you know, cabaret, comedy, circus, like all kinds of stuff is there. Like they do some brilliant programming. It's amazing. Excellent. Now, before Fringe Wives Club take Glittery Clittery, a consensual party, <laughs> uh, over to Perth for Fringe World uh, and then on to Adelaide Fringe and then, as we heard, uh, an, an extra special one-night-only show at Melbourne International Comedy Festival in April. Before all of that happens, there is a launch party happening Happening in Melbourne next yeah. Saturday, the twentieth of January. Rowena, is this in some ways is it a, a fundraising party to help push the tour on further, or is it just it, an opportunity to have a hell of a good time with a bunch of friends? It is simultaneously both of those things. Um, taking four four of us on the, on tour because we ha- also have an incredible producer called Steph Spears. Um, taking four artists and kind of amazing uh, musical instruments, etc. They're heavy. They're, They're very heavy. heavy. The, for the listeners at home, I am currently holding an accordion, which, <laughs> I yeah, is excess baggage. Exactly. <laughs> um, so taking us all on tour for three and a half months is, is quite an quite a big undertaking. Um, but also we're really excited because we're launching a production company. Um, oh, my God. So it's, it's a scoop. It's, it's, scoop. it's a, scoop. a scoop where I'm... I just got the nod to say that I was allowed to say that. (laughs) (laughs) It's out. It's out. It's out. Uh, So we're launching a production company called The Furies and we're really, really excited to start helping produce other fabulous feminist, femme, uh, sexually progressive and open acts out there. I've got goosebumps just thinking yeah. about it. Yeah, sounds great. Now, I think we should we should give some context, uh, Victoria. Apart from the fact mm. that you're holding uh, uh, kind of a <laughs> cradling, large, yes. cradling fondly, mm. Mm. Um, <laughs> uh, you. your kind of gorgeously coloured accordion, which people can see if they uh, jump yes. onto the yeah. the Fringe Wives Club uh, Facebook page. It's currently being live streamed. Mm. This whole interview, it's of, happening now. It is. Uh, I'm sure people are kind of watching in droves. Oh <laughs> yes, get on it. But <laughs> contextualise the mm. show for us. Because um, I mentioned, for example, that there is an interactive quiz oh, kind of naming the different parts of the vagina. So it's a sex-positive cabaret. It is, and it's very much a dialogue between us and the audience. But we like to call it a cult, cosmic, feminist disco. Oh, my God, that feminism's so hot right now. Oh, yeah, it's in oh Vogue. It's, hot. it's, it's yeah, also in Teen Vogue. And Facebook. We, and Facebook. Li- we Facebook live. Oh that's, that's how cool we <laughs> are. Instagram yeah. feminism. Oh, my God, it's so on point. Uh, so... <laughs> Sorry, we go off a little bit. Um, But, yes, so there is obviously... When we first started doing the show, which is about uh, a year ago, almost to the day, in fact, mm. uh, we were all kind of... We had the urge to create something that was uh, 
sex positive for women was talking about uh, like our bodies and things that are, ha, still have that kind of stigma and taboo around them. We wanted to talk about domestic violence. We wanted to talk about uh, sexual abuse. It's things that uh, seem quite serious, but also we wanted to make it accessible and put our own kind of comedy cabaret spin on it to bring the people in and then be able to deliver a message home, uh, which is so incredible that we can do that wearing glittery jumpsuits and, you know, singing songs, you know. And uh, lay your shoulder pads. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, thank you for noticing. We do indeed wear uh, giant vulvas on our shoulders, uh, which is helpful. They're not quite anatomically correct, but, you know, you get but the idea. But they're still fabulous. <laughs> you get the Occasionally idea. you have to sacrifice detail <laughs> for effect. Aesthetic. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Aesthetic exactly. is a very important point. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, so we've been taking our brand of feminism around, uh, around the country and uh, it will be happening again this year and then hopefully we'll go uh, international with it later on in the year as well which is very exciting but it seems to be incredibly zeitgeisty which was not necessarily on purpose but clearly indicates that there is a massive need as we all all know anybody who isn't living in a hole uh, will know that this is important it's, and of the now. It's absolutely on point and perhaps even more so uh, over the last couple of months yeah. as we've had kind of, kind of hashtag me too mm-hmm. and now we're having revelations around the Australian arts and entertainment and media industries mm-hmm. uh, around alleged assaults and that will kind of keep going. So, yeah, it's mm-hmm. important to, as Mary Poppins said, uh, which is not... <laughs> uh, <laughs> You hear very often a a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. So presenting these kind of quite sometimes challenging and serious topics and overcoming guilt and Mm. shame around our bodies and Mm -hmm. so forth, being able to deliver all of that with a laugh and a song, kind of like... Tessa, that's kind of tell us about why that's important. Though I think it's the power of comedy and and then the power of music. You know, the, the when you make someone laugh, you know, endorphins are released, they relax, they open up, and they're more willing to talk about something, perhaps. Um, mm. And it, it, you, if you get someone laughing first, you get them on side. You get them like we're here in the room together. We're all humans, no matter what our opinion is. We can laugh at the same things. There's some universal uh, things that we can come together on, and then from that point, you can have that dialogue. So I think that's especially where cabaret comes from cabaret has always been like traditionally Mm. has always been a space to to discuss um the other for the other to perform whatever other means to you whether Mm. it's being a woman uh being queer um being a person of color like whatever your otherness is that's cabaret is very much that home for that and it's inherently Um, political as well inherently yeah Mm. exactly it's always Mm. to discuss it's definitely also now home to pop bangers and and uh, sexy <laughs> costumes, which we love as well. So exactly. sort of we've, we've progressed with cabaret and, you know, um, yeah, that's sort of, I guess that's where we come from. You know, you, you've got to put yourself at the centre of any story that you make when you're making art mm. and we're very much cabaret and comedy performers mm. so that's, that's our weapons that we, you know, fight the patriarchy with. <laughs> now, I'm hearing uh, some news that some of the laws around... Uh, music performance is going to impact on cabaret. Uh, Is is. is that going to have any impact on the three of you? Well, we all write all of our own original songs, luckily. So that means uh, that we are okay. Um, But also I think that the whole opera thing is not quite as dramatic as far as I can read. There's a lot Uh, of us talking about it online, a lot of cabaret communities discussing how it's going to impact. I think it it, it possibly will impact on emerging artists who are doing uh, sort of more cover song Mm. cabarets. And in in character. 
character. And if you're character? doing a character, that's going to be diff- different to if you're singing it as your own person. So mm. there's a lot of nitty gritty that needs to be sorted out. But luckily, we're okay Excellent. as far as I can tell. Good, good, yeah. good. I'm glad to hear that. Now, uh, speaking of original songs, we're going to hear one yeah. shortly. Yes, but indeed. before we do, just uh, I'm not just hanging out with Fringe Wives Club because they're awesome. I'm hanging <laughs> like out with Fringe Wives Club <laughs> well, partly uh, because, as we've said, they're taking glittery, glittery, a consensual party on the road to Fringe World in Perth. Hello to everyone listening in Perth. Yes. Uh, you're three hours behind us, so it's... Uh, what are you doing? Very early. Yeah. Go back to bed. This is not Cabaret Club. No. no. Um, and also to Adelaide Fringe, kind of the, the second largest Fringe festival in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but... It's all kicking off with a gig that's happening next Saturday, the 20th of January, at the Melbourne Spiegel Tent at 50 Perry Street, Collingwood, just next door to the tote. Um, doors open at 7pm. Show runs from 7.30 till 9, 9.30. 9-ish, yeah. Yeah. We've um, got an amazing lineup. It's yep. going to be huge. Who's, who's on that bill? Who's on? We've got Double Denim Comedy. We've got Romeo is Not the Only Fruit, which is an amazing new... Who are the the lesbian few... musical comedy, yes. kind of which I missed completely. Oh, well, well, you, have to come. Come. you have to come. The They've also got a return season um, at mm-hmm. the Malthouse Theatre as part of the Melbourne International uh, Comedy Festival. So Produced the Fury, by the Furies. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. You are yes. launching the Furies, your own <laughs> production company, at this same gig. Mm-hmm. Um, Reese Nicholson will be there. Um, who else is coming Two along? Two Little Dickheads. Two Little Dickheads, yes. Little yes dickheads. Amazing, who we're also producing for Comedy Festival. And we're, we're putting together an incredible finale uh, of <laughs> so massive fans, which is just going to blow the roof off, which we can't quite reveal the full no. lineup, but we are but absolutely losing our minds over who wants to come and sing with us. It sounds yeah. fun. Now, um, the good thing is that if you can't get along, say you're listening to us right now and you're living in Bendigo or Canberra mm-hmm. or somewhere like that, you can still buy a Wish We Were There ticket uh, <laughs> for this particular showcase and party and launch and extravaganza um, you, for 20 bucks or maybe even 50 bucks if you're feeling generous. But otherwise, Please do. <laughs> uh, tickets for the dance party only, which is from about 9 to mm-hmm. 9.30 onwards, uh, are only 10 bucks. If you want to come for the full show and party, tickets range from $30 to $60 mm. and it's going to be awesome. It's happening, as we said, Saturday the 20th of Jan at the Melba Spiegel Tent, 50 Perry Street, Collingwood. Doors at 7 p.m. show from 7.30. Yes, woo, woo, woo. that's it. Fringe Wives Club. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for having us, Richard. And uh, ah. as we said, uh, the Melbourne Spiegel Tent, 50 Perry Street, Collingwood, Saturday the 20th of Jan, you can see Fringe Wives Club uh, getting ready, gearing up <laughs> and partying with a whole bunch of friends, including uh, the crew from Romeo is Not the Only Fruit, Two Little Dickheads, Double Denim uh, and more. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and you can book by going to trybooking.com and using the booking event number 340257 or just go to the Fringe Wives Club Facebook, Facebook page. Facebook or Instagram, yes. we've got links on there as well. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for coming in. Thank, Thank you so much for having you. us. This has been a pododcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.